0: O Lord, my heart is not proud, nor haughty my eyes. I have not gone after things too great, nor marvels beyond me. Truly, I have set my soul in tranquillity and silence. As a weaned child on its mother, as a weaned child is my soul within me. O Israel, wait for the Lord, both now and forever. I recently saw a picture of a page from a twelfth century manuscript that contained, among other things, a selection of prayers, and this was from one of the prayer pages. It was actually one, a prayer for Advent. And the manuscript had been in a fire and was very damaged, and this particular page was scarred and burnt and scorched, but there shone. The most beautiful illuminated letter O. Picked out in gold and in beautiful jewel colours. Beautifully decorated, this great O right there on the page. And the O was the beginning of the word <coughs> Omnipotence, Almighty. was the beginning of a prayer, Almighty God. And it just struck me as really powerful how that word, that word stood out, omnipotence, almighty, amongst the ashes and the (coughs) scars on the page. There it was, that O, that great O. And of course as an o it was a circle a very beautiful circle almost like a mandala the way it was <coughs> filled in with shapes almost like a flower in these colors and the gold and of course there are circle shapes in the labyrinth and if you look at the shark's labyrinth you, you've got the sense of the great sweeping outer circle, and on the path, although it folds in on itself, you've got these great stretches, these great arcs that are you know, you can walk freely, you could run almost, and then there are the twists and the turns that get narrower and narrower and narrower, and you get near the center, and then you're flung out again. But always, always, that centre is the destination. And the centre is held in a circle shape, too. The O shape, the circle shape, standing out in brightness and colour amongst scars and ashes. There's a lovely Celtic tradition of the circling prayer that you might know, a prayer for protection, and I'll come and do it. You take your right hand and you draw a circle around yourself. And as you do it, you can say things like, keep anxiety and doubt without, keep faith within, keep despair without, keep hope within, keep hatred without, keep love within, and adapt it to whatever situation you're in. It's a very good prayer before situations that we suspect are going to be difficult. And it is again that O shape, acknowledging that God is in control. Our almighty God is in control. And of course, they circle the O as a particular significance in Advent. That manuscript was um, an Advent prayer, and of course we have the Advent O's, which have come into that that lovely hymn, Come, O Come, Emmanuel, I guess some of us were singing that yesterday. Those antiphons, those little, almost like arrow prayers, from the seven last days before Christmas, the last days of Advent, O Wisdom, O Adonai, O Root of Jesse, O Key of David, O Daystar, O King of the Nations, O Emmanuel. Beautiful prayers and sometimes called cries of advent i think because of that oh that oh that expresses all our longing and they are antiphons for evening prayer originally so the close of day the dark of a winter evening when perhaps Perhaps fears get a little bit stronger when we are tired, when we are weary and anxious. That oh, oh to God, oh come quickly. And they are antiphons, they are little prayers that come before and after the singing or the reciting of the Magnificat of Mary's song, which again is significant. That great, wonderful proclamation of what God has done, what God will do, of turning the world's standards upside down, of feeding the hungry of exalting the humble. So our cries of Advent are never just about our own private longings for God. They are the cry of the world, a world of pain and injustice. O Emmanuel, God with us. And in the the psalm, there's those two O's. O Lord. And then that reply, O Israel, wait for the Lord. Time of waiting and of hope. And that's really about the centre of the labyrinth being in the center so when you walk the labyrinth or when you do your finger labyrinth take some time being in the center notice what it feels like to be in the center after the long journey a journey that turns back on itself that goes this way and that way but always comes to that center. It's the place of waiting. It's the place also of stillness. Stillness and waiting, stillness and expectancy. Quite hard to hold those two in, in a creative tension sometimes. When we are longing, when we are longing, for God for good for ourselves for the world for the people in situations where we're ministering something about waiting in stillness in hope and another word there is trust in trust remembering that omnipotence of In the shape of the shark Labyrinth, that centre circle actually has a a shape like a flower in it, an organic shape, a living shape. (coughs) And that can seem a bit counterintuitive, doing it in Advent, doing it in winter, at a time when the leaves are falling when the trees are becoming bare. But again, that's about hope. There is a lovely um, Anglo-Saxon Advent sermon that survives that talks about Jesus as the golden blossom so that in the dead of winter we wait for this golden blossom, this flowering of God's presence among us, a presence that comes with peace and justice and all those things we long for. So the flower at the centre is a reminder of that hidden growth in winter that we just have to trust. You know, if we didn't know, we'd say the trees are dying. We'd say some of the plants in our garden have died, they've gone. But, before here lived a, a few years, we've seen winters and springs. We know about that hidden growth that happens under the ground in the winter and a lot's been written a lot of advent reflections meditations use that as an image the hidden growth the life that is not dead that is hidden and is is waiting to emerge everything all that will become the flower is there in that seed, in that root, it's all there and it will flower and of course that's, that's a reminder of Jesus talking about the grain of wheat that unless it falls into the ground and dies it will remain alone. But if it does fall into the ground and die, it will yield a rich, rich harvest. And that's something I think we we all know. Those of us who've been involved in any kind of ministry. It's not it's not a kind of You know, straight trajectory of success. Nothing we do, yeah? Well, perhaps it is for you, but I've never known (laughs) that. It's about a lot of deaths, and endings, and disappointments, and failures, and hope, of things growing. Out of the cold earth. And of course Jesus says that about the grain of wheat in the gospel. And he's talking about himself. He's talking about what's going to happen to him. Which is, remember his disciples didn't want to know about. Remember Peter? Got that really sharp rebuke don't want to think about that. We don't want to think about failure and death. But it was the only way. That oh, that cry, that oh. Maybe something, something of that loud cry of Jesus on the cross, that emptying himself to take the form of a servant, a slave. So we're thinking about meaning, making meaning. And Julian of Norwich shares with us the words that she was given in answer to that why. Why did it have to be like that? Why does the grain of wheat have to die? Why did Jesus himself have to go that way and walk that path and cry that oh himself? And this is what Julian shares with us of what the Lord revealed to her. Would you learn our Lord's meaning in this thing? Learn it well. Love was his meaning. Who showed it to you? Love. What did he show you? Only love. (coughs) And for what reason did he show you? For love. Hold on to this and you will learn more of the same, but you will never, without end, learn in it any other meaning. So again, there's a sheet, those readings on to take with you, with some questions for reflection. Take them into the labyrinth if you haven't been already and take time sitting in the centre.